Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's great to be back. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Kathy Barrett. It is my great pleasure to welcome a dear friend, Betty Steinhauer. She is also a favorite of our listeners at Behind the Curtain. If you go to the archives on Blog Talk Radio backslash Behind the Curtain or to my website at GoBehindTheCurtain.com, you can listen to the first show Betty did a few years ago where she talks about her memoir, My Way. Most people write their memoirs and they kind of slow down. Betty Steinhauer, <laughs> uh, mother, entrepreneur, philanthropist, did anything but that. She's written a new book called In Search of Spiritual Intelligence, and she's here to talk about her life as a nomadic intern and her search for the meaning of spiritual intelligence. So both of Betty's books can be found everywhere books are sold. Order them on Amazon, Barnes & Noble when you get out of lockdown. Go to her blog at thenomadicintern.com uh, and sign up to be a voyeur on Betty's adventures. So Betty, welcome. It's so great to have you back. Congratulations on your book. Thank you, Kathy, and thank you for the opportunity. Good morning. Good morning. Tell us, first of all, what a nomadic intern is and, and led you to become one. Well, the title of nomadic intern was given to me by a friend from New York. And what happened was that uh, it was seven years ago now, I was had this very lovely apartment in the middle of the city in Toronto with, I say, all the bells and whistles. And friends of mine came down one day and said, you know, I should be traveling, and what was I going to do with everything or whatever? And I said, well, I guess I'll sell everything or do whatever. And they said, well, we'll take it. We'll put it in our house, and then you'll always have a room, and when you come back to Toronto to spend some time. So basically, they took my furniture, I gave it to them, and then my art and everything went into their house. And so I've always had a space when I arrived back here. So I got rid of everything, sold it, gave it away, and just decided I wanted to travel. So I packed my suitcases, and away I went. And um, in total, over the years, not just in the last seven years, but since I started to travel about 30 years ago, I've so far visited about 155 countries. And I'd love to go, not as a tourist, but as a traveler, to basically spend a little bit of time, get to know people, get to know the country, get to know the, the, the situation and the culture. That's why I call myself a traveler and not a tourist. The tourist stuff I did a long, long time ago. So I basically say I'm homeless, and um, I have a number of, of uh, homes around the world, which is just great. But uh, I really am homeless. I live with my suitcases. We're all kind of collecting things from the time that we're born to the time <laughs> we, we leave this earth. Yes. And so it takes a lot of courage to sell or, or give your personal belongings away and, and give up the stability of having an address to return to, you know, your mm -hmm. own personal address. So mm -hmm. talk a little bit about what's underneath that, what's driving you. Well, I this. think 
Well, I think I'm not a great lover of having responsibility for things. I've always loved beautiful things. So I have a lot of art um, still, but furniture I didn't want. I didn't want the responsibility of, of owning a place or renting a place where I had to worry about whether things worked, whether things didn't work, whether they would be there when I came back from traveling or just what was going on. So it was basically, I just really didn't want the responsibility. And I love the word freedom. I wanted to feel free. And freedom to me, even though I still have lots of clothes and I still, you know, have lots of stuff, but I'm very free in terms of worrying about where it is, what happens to it. And if something goes wrong and something isn't there when I appear somewhere, it's okay. And 10 years ago, it wouldn't have been okay with me. I couldn't have psychologically have handled that. Mm -hmm. But I think the the magic word for me is freedom, and it gives me clarity about where I want to be in my life. And it makes me happy. They used to call my apartment where I lived very eclectic because everything in it meant something to me. It was a piece of art I had bought in part of the world. Yeah. It was a, uh, a special object which I had bought somewhere. So there was nothing that was just kind of bought at random. Everything right. had a meaning to me. And so that to me is still very important in terms of how I live my life. You know, if I look at the walls now where when I'm talking to you, I'm in a room where I have probably 35 pieces of art on the wall. Mm. And each one is, they're not particularly valuable, but they're all important to me where I have acquired traveling the world or people have given to me or special pieces. And so that to me is still very important. So in a way, you have managed to eat your cake. <laughs> in a way, in a way, Kathy, yes. So it's called eat your cake and have a cake. And have yes. a cake, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and. The only thing that I am very protective of to this day, as I mentioned before, is my art. Everything else I don't worry about. I could leave here tomorrow. I wouldn't worry about the furniture and the pretty desk and all that kind of stuff. But the art, yes, because even if I started at someone's house, and I now have art on, I think, five different people's walls Hmm. in Canada, uh, that they're kind of keeping for me, and probably they'll end up being theirs because I'm not going to move them. Hmm. That, to me, is just so nice that other people are enjoying it. And if I want to go and look at them, I can go and look at them. That's wonderful. So how did your friends and family, your children, react when you said, I'm going to be a nomadic intern? In shock. Yeah. Um, my my kids still don't understand it because mm-hmm. I have never been what I would call a normal mother. And so it's, they're still kind of grappling with, you know, I'm, I'm just the age I am and I'm still traveling and I'm writing books and I'm doing whatever. And I've had all these various careers in my life. And so it's very hard, I think, for the average person and certainly my kids to understand and I guess all I can say to them is that, you know, it doesn't mean I love them any less. It just means I'm, I'm a little bit of a strange mother. So I don't fit the normal criteria, as they say. Well, I really admire you because that's a challenge to be able to sort through other people's opinions. It's important <laughs> for us, right, to get other angles yeah. and perspectives yeah. on yeah. the decisions that we're making. But what is your process for staying true to yourself? 
Um, I think I've always, because I've had many uh, tough things happen to me in my life, and I've been on my own since I was 15 years old, with my father dying very suddenly, and my mother was a paranoid schizophrenic, and I was an only child. So I've always had to kind of support myself and to look for um, the logical best thing for me. And it doesn't mean that I you know, just say what's good for me is is not good for other people. That's not what I'm saying. But I've always had this process of I've always been a journaler. I've always every six months looked at myself, written down my goals, what I want to achieve. I go six months later and then say, okay, I can cross this one off, or I don't want this anymore, or whatever. So even though you know, I've traveled the world. People think I'm, you know, a little bit strange in terms of all my ideas of what's gone on. I am a very logical, one at one step after the other person. You just don't normally see that unless you get to know me very well. Tell me how you go about, before we get on to the book, which is, yep. I love it, In Search of Spiritual Intelligence. Thank you. Thank you. And I think you did an excellent job. But before we get to that, just I'm so into this nomadic intern because I'll probably follow. (laughs) Your third book should be How to Be a Nomadic Intern. Well, I don't know. We'll see. Well, that's good. I'll buy a a copy. I'll buy a copy. Uh, So tell us how you go (laughs) about planning your travels. What is your step-by-step process? It seems like an awful lot of coordination coordination would have to be done. Well, I, yeah, there is a lot of coordination. Luckily, I have a very good travel agent in Cambridge in the UK, a young man by the name of Greg, who understands me. And my criteria is very simple. You get me the best seat you can on the plane at the cheapest price. Um, and so I travel economy. People think I travel business class. I don't. And I'm very watchful over the financial end of things. And so the process is I look at a year at a time and I say, okay, where do I want to go and how long do I want to spend there? I mean, I usually go to India once a year. Uh, Last year I spent two months in India um, staying in one of the little hotels that was gifted to me um, as someone who wanted me to to help me by I could be stay there and write the book for two months, which was great. Wow. So so it just depends what every year brings. You know, I when I started this I would looked at my bucket list and I said, Okay, fine, where do I want to go to? One of the places I wanted to visit was Mauritius. And the, it's beautiful. In the last, you know, seven years, I've been to Mauritius twice. I spent a month there last November, which was absolutely delightful. And that was the process when I was editing the book. So people were very helpful to me over the last year in terms of I would go, I would stay, I would stay in a very quiet kind of zone, and I would do what I needed to do with getting this book completed. Because this book has been a two-year process between the interviews and between the actual writing and the editing process. And anyone who's a writer knows that that's the most terrifying part of it. To me, it is, anyhow. So travel to me, you know, this year, for example, with the virus, I really don't know. And so right now I'm in Toronto. I need to go to Newfoundland, which is one of my favorite places in Canada. I have to get back to London at some point, England, because my my clothes are there, my summer clothes are there. Um, And so I don't have any summer clothes with me. So I have to at some point do that. And after that, I have no idea. So this year will be quite a decision time for me. But 
I think I've done so much traveling now that it really doesn't bother me. The world is kind of very open, mm-hmm. and I have no idea what I can go to and what I can't in three months. So we'll just have to see. I'll tell you a cute story. My grandkids phoned me yesterday, and we were supposed to meet in Amsterdam before they went on a cruise in July. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, it was canceled. So they phoned me to see if I would meet them in 2021 <laughs> in July. And I got very excited. I said, oh, boy, I could put the first travel date in 2021 in my calendar. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there you go. Okay, so, yeah, yeah, I don't know whether I'll be stopped now or whether I'll be traveling. But, no, it is a process. Mm-hmm. It is a, a lot of work, to say the least. But I couldn't do it without this wonderful travel agent I have. Well, let's give, let's give totally. Craig a plug. Does he work for a company? Is he independent? He works. For, he he's no. He works for the flight center in Cambridge. He's the manager of the flight center, and uh, he's just a great guy, Greg Blake. And he's been my uh, travel agent now for about six years, mm-hmm. and uh, he uh, he gets me because you know. I, I don't like a lot of kind of kerfuffle when I make up my mind where I want to go, but that's real. I'm not going to change my mind. And I also am very lucky to be connected to a very nice organization called the Brahma Kumaris and World Spiritual University. Uh-huh. And even though I'm not a, a full member of the Brahma Kumaris, I'm a very good friend. So I get to have access to a number of their wonderful centers around the world. For example, in Mauritius, I stayed at their retreat center right on the Indian Ocean. Wow. And it was just spectacular. So I'm also very fortunate to have that connection, and they have centers right around the world. So I have stayed in a number of them over the last seven years. So I don't normally go and stay in hotels. Mm-hmm. I normally go and either stay with the Brahma Kumaris or stay with friends that I've met, and or I may stay in a small guest house or Airbnb or B&B, whatever, every place is different. Right. There's, and let, no, there's no one way. There's no one way. And let me say that I am familiar with the Brahma Kumaris. I love them as well. I learned to meditate going to their yep. centers. And I love that they you know, taught me that you can meditate with your eyes open, which comes in very yep. handy on the New York uh, City subways. <laughs> <laughs> and we went to the Spirit of Humanity case together. We right? went to the Spirit, that's right, which was, yeah. wow, that was so magnificent. I haven't been there since you invited me the first year, but I would love, yeah. love, love to go back again. Well, it there's was, another one next year from what I hear. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, they're in April, right? I believe April. I think, I think it's in April or June next year. I'm not sure. I okay. don't remember the date, but there is one next there year. There is one coming. And also, yeah. so folks, I will, for any of you who are not familiar with the Brahma Kumaris, you will find information about them on my website as well. So if you're interested, they have meditation centers all over the world. So yeah. There's one in New York close to 34th Street, I believe, off 5th Avenue, which I've been to, and Peace Village, which is upstate here in the Catskills. And so I will leave some information on my website so that if you're interested in learning how to meditate or knowing more about the Brahma Kumaris, you'll have the information to do so. And before we move on to the book, I just want to ask you, because you have so much experience traveling and you've been to so many countries, you started this in, what, 2013 when you yep. began? Mm-hmm. So, 2013. What have you noticed about the world and the direction it's going in? Well, the world has become much smaller. There's many places that you don't want to go to or shouldn't go to, let me put it that way, that aren't particularly safe. 
Um, and people, there's a fear factor that I think when you travel, you see that in people. They're not nearly as free about where they can go or where they can't go. So you feel that in people and as you, as you travel. Um, so what countries, let me ask you what, not to interrupt, I apologize, but just to clarify for people your opinion about what places are, are too dangerous to go to now. Well, I think, for example, Israel to me is always a dilemma. Okay, I have been there three times, and to me, Israel is a very difficult place to visit. And I'm a converted Jew, so I converted for marriage a number of years ago. I don't think of myself as being Jewish anymore. But Israel is a very difficult place. Lebanon is a very difficult place. Parts of Africa are very difficult. I mean, Africa is a delightful place in many ways because the African people the way they deal with themselves, their singing, their dancing, their love of life, their joy, but it's becoming more difficult and dangerous in parts of Africa. Um, India, I feel, is still okay for the most part. Now, with the virus, what's going to happen, I don't know, because India is really, really locked down, and I don't think it's going to be open for anyone to get in or out for a number of months, if not a year. Wow. So, and who knows what's really happening there with the virus just because of the numbers. They're sometimes very difficult to attain. So, South America to me is another, um, Bolivia, uh, Colombia, Peru, I would, all put, I would also put those three on the danger list. Nicaragua, I would add to that too. Mm-hmm. So, as I have traveled, I've met people who have gotten in, dangerous situations. For example, Nicaragua, a friend of mine, had the most beautiful house with a massive pool, and she must have had 12 bedrooms and was sitting on top of a cliff. It was absolutely magnificent with a wooded pool and the whole works. And they had bought this house. She went from Florida. Mm. Well, the president in Nicaragua and his sons decided they wanted that house. Oh, my God. They took the house. Wow. So those are things that don't appear in the press. Yeah. So what I'm saying is, and this was like a brand new subdivision in a beautiful part of Nicaragua, mm-hmm. and these people from the States had all bought these homes, and they just were taken because they couldn't get a deed, and the government took them. So I'm saying stuff like that, so terrorism, yeah. safety, so you have to be very, very, very aware. I mean, years ago I said to myself, oh, I'll buy a piece of property or a house somewhere in another country. You couldn't pay me to do that now. Yeah. It's too complicated, okay, and too dangerous. So those to me are some of the differences. Okay. I'm not even sure I would buy a house in Florida, but, you know, years ago that was a place to go, right? Of I course. I would go to Florida, of and course. I had a house in Florida for a long time. But now it's like, no, because the rules are changeable. Everything you just don't know. Yeah. And so you can't take the risk. I mean, at one point I was going to buy a little house in India. Well, I looked at the paperwork that was involved in what I had to do from a government point of view, and I said, oh, no. And luckily I'm the type of person is when I get close to doing something, if it's not right, something stops me, mm. whether it's the higher power that stops me when something says, no, no, don't do that. And I don't do it. So I have no idea. <laughs> Those are some of the changes. It's, it's becoming a very difficult place. you know. And then there's countries like Iceland mm. who are doing such a good job 
at managing their economy and managing themselves, and they came through the financial crisis in 2008 brilliantly. And so you have to look at them and say, what are they doing right? And basically, they're taking care of themselves, of their own autonomy. Yes, and you know, I remember when we were there for the first Spirit of Humanity uh, conference, we were invited, remember, to the president's home. Yes, yes, There was no security. No security. He was was at the front door greeting us, He was at the front door greeting us, and I was astounded by that. (laughs) Astounded. No security at all. So, I mean, you have countries like that, or you have some of the, the Scandinavian countries, okay, Finland, Sweden, um, that are, they operate in a much different way than we do, okay, much different, and so you can trust what goes on there, Mm -hmm. but you can't trust what goes on in so many other parts of the world, I mean, even the UK now, and I'm a British citizen as well as a Canadian citizen, and I said, the UK now is really changing, and part of that change is because of the virus, and things are happening, and people are, it is not in good shape. And plus, Boris in the European Union, but that's a whole other thing. It's so. a very complicated world, and it's getting more yeah, complicated, it's a very complicated as the world. days yeah. go on. But yeah. speaking of, think if you, yeah, go I ahead. Just think if you still want to travel, yeah, and do it, but do it with caution, mm-hmm. and really read where you're going and the safety rules and regulations, and what can happen or can't happen. So I just think as long as you can be what I would call buyer aware, yeah. travel aware, traveler aware, I think is very good. Yeah, it, it makes uh, it makes a lot of sense what you're saying. So thank you for that advice because it's very important for us to know going forward. And speaking of higher powers, let's now switch over to your fabulous book, In Search of Spiritual okay. Intelligence, and tell us why this, was, this project was important to you. What drove you to write this so- book? It happened uh, two years ago. I was in Athens, and I was visiting a friend of mine who was then looking after the Brahma Kamari Center in Athens, a young woman in her 40s. And we started out by having tea one day, and she said to me, you know, you need a new project, because I'm the type of person who always has a project going. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, no, I don't. I'm getting too old to have projects. She said, no. And we started to talk about the difference between IQ emotional intelligence and spiritual intelligence. And what came out of that conversation of five hours was that there needs to be a book on spiritual intelligence, but a book that interviews various people around the world to see what their definition is and what they feel it is. So I went away and I thought, okay, fine. So I decided that I would interview approximately 40 people, half being members of the Brahma Kumaris, because the Brahma Kumaris have a study in in God and, and not, I'm not going to call it in spirituality and the virtues of life, etc. And and also friends of mine, the other half of the friends of mine that I'd met around the world on my travels that I felt had done some very good, interesting things. And Kathy is one of them, okay, that I interviewed. And so I was very careful how I chose people, but I chose people on two two levels, on their humanity and their humility. And those were the two virtues I was looking for in people that I interviewed. And so it took me one year to complete all the interviews because I was doing them around the world and we were taping each interview, so schedules are very difficult to set up. And then it took me another year to actually do the book. So that was how the book came about. So it's all Gopi's fault 
when she talked me into this in Athens. That was her sister's <laughs> name is Athens. And I blame her to this day. <laughs> and, and then I have a very good friend in Halifax who put me in a writer's boot camp for a week in her house in Halifax, where she put me in a room and told me to write every morning, and then she dissected everything I did. And by the end of the week, I was very depressed and said, I don't need to do this, but I did it anyhow. So, <laughs> so I've had, I, had, I had a couple of people that got me started on the road. Mm-hmm. and uh, But I must admit, I'm very, now that it's completed, and I was very fortunate because I was speaking to the lunch group at uh, the Rotary Club in Cambridge in the UK mm-hmm. last fall. And a man came, and about my nomadic intern journeys, really very little about the book. And a man came up to me after and said, there's a man you need to meet. There's a publisher you need to meet now. And I said, no, no, I can't do that. I'm going to India in two days. He said, get on a train and go to Leeds, meet this man. Wow. So he set this relationship, this meeting up, and I went to I went to uh, Leeds in a pouring rainstorm on the train, met Rick, who is my publisher from Fisher King Publishing, mm-hmm. and after a two-hour lunch, he signed me, which was just great, and it's worked out to be a really, really phenomenal relationship. So Rick Armstrong from Fisher King Publishing, thank you. He has published a very good-looking book, and he's done a very, very good job. And so he did it very quickly. Very well he did it very quickly. We, this book wasn't supposed to be published until um, May of this year, mm-hmm. but luckily he wanted to publish it early because if it waited till May, I don't think it would have happened because of the uh, pandemic. Right. And the other thing he did for me was My Way, which was published first, six, seven years ago, he's republished as a second edition because the first book, the publisher went bankrupt, and I never have seen a penny from that. The money has gone somewhere in India, but I have no idea where. So the second book now has been published, the second edition, uh, with a different cover and and a few changes in the inside, and uh, that's now available on Amazon and everywhere else you mentioned at the front of the show. Well, I'll tell you, as a writer, it's myself. It, it's really a massive project. So how do you go about putting it all together? Uh, well, I wanted to be, my role, I wanted it to be the narrator. And I wanted to um, look at, you know, the Brahma Kumaris, because of their experiences, can go much deeper than a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. But I also felt that a lot of people that weren't part of the spiritual movement at all were doing many, many things in their life that I thought were very important. And so that's how I went to kind of choose people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have a person in there, his name is Will, from the Church of England. He's also head of the Theology Institute um, in Princeton, New Jersey, a very smart man. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of this interview, he said to me, I have no idea what spiritual intelligence is, no idea what you're talking about, Betty. I said, just stay with me for an hour and we'll see. And he gave me one of the most in-depth, beautiful interviews because, Mm -hmm. of course, he knew. He was a man of the cloth, but he didn't know he knew. He was thinking of it in a different set of terms. So uh, there was only one person that I couldn't interview Mm -hmm. uh, that I really tried to. She was extremely ill. And her name is Georgia from, she's a a minister from Glasgow, uh, Scotland, Mm -hmm. and uh, she was too ill to do it, but she is probably one of the most spiritual people I've ever met. And I'm, but she has died many times and come back. 
Wow. And she's her name is Georgia Baxendale, and she's the only. I mentioned her a couple of times in the book because she's they had a very powerful influence on my life and how I think. Mm. And um, how did you meet her? Well, I met her. Well, back to Will again because Will was at the first Spirit of Humanity that you were at. Uh-huh. He invited me to stay at Windsor Castle for two days wow. to be part of a think tank. I thought I had died and gone to heaven to get to spend <laughs> two days at Windsor Castle, okay, right. and live there. I thought this was so much fun. You had a butler with China, and you had the whole work going on. I loved it. And this Georgia, she was there. Georgie was there. Georgie was also one of the other guests of the think tank, mm-hmm. and that's how I met Georgie. And she was then on breathing machines and everything else, but she had such energy and such spark and a, such a love of life even though she could hardly breathe, mm. that I just had total respect and love for this woman. And uh, that's how I met Georgie. I've only seen her once again. Mm-hmm. We visited her a couple of years ago in her home. And that she, she's, she's still alive, but it's in and out all the time. Well, let's send our love out to her. She does sound yes. like a fascinating, beautiful spirit. Oh, she's uh, absolutely the one of the most beautiful spirits I've ever met. I particularly connected to the segment where um, I guess you were interviewing Judy Johnson in your right. book, and in the interview, she speaks about how spiritual intelligence compares to emotional intelligence, being able to live in the moment, yet choose not mm-hmm. to be reactionary. Spiritual intelligence lets you see the truth that is much larger than the individual moment and how important it is for us to see the bigger picture and to understand the impact of our thoughts and actions long-term. This, to me, is the beauty of your book. It really is a roadmap for people, as you go through it, see a reflection of yourself in each and every story and then yeah, take the I information, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Take the information mm-hmm. you're learning and then use it as a tool for you to raise your own consciousness, for you to become that best person that you could possibly be or the best version yeah. of yourself that you can possibly be. And I think, I think that's the best definition because a number of people in the book said, what is spiritual intelligence? And basically the answer is to be the best person you want to be. Yeah. You know, how do you feel about yourself? Are you happy with yourself? Do you like yourself? Are you able to maintain a high level of self-esteem? I think those are very important elements of being the best person. And I think that's so important. It is. I love that the people that you selected, I mean, really are very open in what they share with you. And so I always find when people are very vulnerable with other people, and there's nothing between, you know, what's real within you and what you're sharing with another person. It makes an instant connection. So yeah. it happens yeah. in person, and yet this was happening for me on every page. Well, that's good. So I, I think to... everyone has their, has their own story, and I think that's so important. And everyone's story is different, but if you look at the core, the elements are usually the same. Absolutely. I, I yeah. agree with you there. How much do you think meditation plays a role in awareness? I think meditation helps. It's one of the tools. Mm -hmm. Meditation to me is something I use when I want to quiet my mind. Mm -hmm. If I have an issue or something I would call a problem in my life, I will sit very quietly and I will meditate. And usually there will be some type of an answer. 
Um, I mean, in my crazy life, one of the things that normally comes to me in meditation, you're going to really laugh at this, is how to pack my suitcase for the next trip. <laughs> but we, we won't tell too many people that. But <laughs> some people some people through me, and I thought, I will think, oh, of course, okay? So I think in the, when your mind is quiet, yeah, all kinds of things can come into your mind. And I think that's a positive part, that you're really clearing out. You're clearing out all the crap. You're clearing out whatever, and you're bringing a higher power. You're bringing something into your life that you wouldn't normally do because you're just stopping. You're in silence. And I know that whenever I, years and years ago, before I even started to um, meditate in a big way, I used to chair a lot of meetings, and I always used to start the meetings with a minute of silence. And everyone thought that I was quite crazy. And then they caught on, and the meeting went much better than it normally would. Yeah. It just diffused on all kinds of the issues. And some of these meetings were very difficult with government people and corporate people and whatever. And even though they thought I was quite crazy, it worked. It just diffused it. Yeah, that's how I look at it, too. It's like it, it balances me, you know. But it puts everyone on the same level. I yes. mean, there's no seniors, there's no lowers, there's no whatever. Everyone's on the same level when you're in silence. That's true. There's no bosses, there's no employees, there's no whatever. You're all there, and you're all there doing the same thing together. And I think that's what's the bind. I think that's what binds people together. Mm. And that's what kind of settles some of the issues before you even get into the issues. Right. So I was doing that 30 years ago. Wow. <laughs> and I can remember sitting with politicians, they would look at me very strangely. And uh but it worked. And after the meeting they would come to me and say, I have no idea how you did that. Because the meeting would always be successful, but it worked. So it's very interesting. So yeah. I started to do that many years ago. Yeah, that's amazing that you even before you knew about oh, yeah. meditation Absolutely. quote, you know, quote. Yep. So that's kind of something innate within you that just, you yep. know, drew you to that yep. kind of, you know, present, to be in that present. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. For me, what I find is really funny. It's because all of a sudden I'll be walking around and I won't feel good. I'll notice that I'm not feeling good. It's not a physical thing. It's like, hmm, I may be cranky, I'm angry, you know, stressed, right. whatever. Yep. And then I'll go, oh, I've fallen off the spiritual bandwagon, you know. <laughs> that's a lovely term. I love that. Yes, that's great. Right? So I'm like, okay, when's the last time you meditated? You went into silence. And I'll go, hmm, I haven't yeah. done that in a long time. Why are you not doing that? It takes a minute, okay? In a minute, yeah. you can totally yeah. balance yourself, calm, yeah. and tap into the higher aspect of who you are yeah. yeah so what's stopping me from doing that and other people as well if you meditate on a regular basis what i found is that you get things done much quicker yeah so you take the time to meditate and yes it takes time out of your day when you take 10 minutes 20 minutes whatever you take yeah but you things flow in a much easier way and if you don't things don't flow well at all so i think that meditation to me is like it's a helper Yes. It helps. Well, it's no, like it having coffee in the morning. You yeah. Know, without the caffeine. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. 
And uh, the last thing I want to say about that is that, you know, I, you know when, I, when I find that I'm in that agitated mode and recognize that I haven't been meditating and say, okay, you're going to do this every day now, like you say, it makes yep. your life flow better, uh, because that's exactly what happens. You fall out of the natural flow of life. You're kind of yes. disconnected from it. So then when I started thinking and comparing myself to a piece of plastic floating in the ocean, because... <laughs> It's the same kind of pollution, but it's spiritual pollution. You know, it really is our responsibility to keep ourselves balanced like that. So anyway, that's uh, and stay connected to, of course, the natural flow of life. So what I loved about your book gave me comfort also to know that I'm not alone in terms of being driven to explore my own spiritual identity mm-hmm. and in my desire mm-hmm. to become the best possible version of myself. It's, mm-hmm. it's not about wanting to be perfect. It's about a desire to understand the human spirit and my own potential. It's a lot to take from one book. Yeah, I think you should charge yeah, more fun. money. <laughs> no, no, I don't know. Well, see. But, no, I think that's very important. And I think it's it's not my story. It's everyone else's story. And to me, you know, I've, I've made a point of interviewing people from a really broad cross-section in terms of what they did for a living, age-wise, and also where they were located in the world. And I did that on purpose. You know, there's a, very, there's a lovely sister in this book. She's part of the BKs, but her name is Sita, uh, uh, Sister Sita. Mm-hmm. And she lives in Kilgali in Rwanda. And Rwanda, as you know, has been very difficult. And Sister Sita lives beside the Genocide Museum, which is one of the most powerful things wow. if you ever get a chance to see it. I cried all the way through. Oh. It's very powerful. Anyhow, this sister, when I arrived at her little at her house, she said to me, uh, you stay here. And I said, no, no, I'll go to a guest house. She said, no, no, you stay here. She said, but I have something to tell you. I said, what? She said, my hot water heater isn't working. Now, I like all showers and things like that. So I thought, okay, fine, I'm here. I can deal with this, okay? One day it's not going to kill me. Mm. And I woke up the next morning, and she had been up most of the night boiling water for me. Oh. That, to me, oh was just God. so humble and so lovely. Wow. But that's one of the people I interviewed, and I interviewed her because she was so humble and so full of humility. And she took me to Parliament in Veranda, and when we walked in the room, all the parliamentarians stood up, not for me, for her. Wow. And that, to me, was so powerful, and she's so humble, and it gave me such a message. So, I mean, there's people like that in this book and people like that in the world that are so special and don't know it. Yeah. But they can give so much back to the rest of the world. That's a very powerful story and a beautiful story as well. And, And I want you to explain it more. What do you mean when you say that? You're out of the closet concerning your feelings about God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I lost a child when uh, she, Terry was a year old, and she had very serious heart defects. And I really blame God for that. For This was a long time ago. This was 50 years ago. And I blame God for that for a lot of years. You know, why would God ever take a child and da 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 It was only about eight, nine years ago. I was in India, I was in a session of the Brahma Kamaris, and I could finally say the word God without choking. Mm. And it took me that long, because I blamed God for such a long time. And I finally understood, okay, and it was like, it was like this revelation. I was so excited. And then I realized 
that I had been totally protected all my life by God because I've had this crazy life. You know, I had a phenomenal business. I'm not well-educated at all. I did the charitable work out of whatever, and I, it was successful. I have no idea why. I wrote everything I touched seems to work, okay? And so I'm very happy and pleased about all of that, but I really have no idea. The traveling I've done, if I wasn't protected by God, I'd be dead. Mm. I mean, I have climbed mountains to see the silverback gorillas, you know, with, with guys with guns and, and terrorists and God knows what. I've done it all. And so if I wasn't protected, I wouldn't be here now. So I know that I'm protected, but it took me a long time to come out of that closet. And as I said, it was only a few years ago. But now I just say, hey, I am protected. I recognize the divine as someone that is there. What form it takes, I have no idea. But it's it's um, it's part of my life now. One of the quotes, and there were many uh, of yours that I pulled out that I thought was quite beautiful, was when you say, and I'm paraphrasing here, hardly any of us escapes seeing sorrow from close quarters. Many of us carry right. that sorrow to the grave. To know God yeah. is to open yourself to love. Yeah. So how much do you think it's the unconditional love, that feeling of unconditional love and protection that one feels? You know, is that connected to God for you, or is it just... Well, yeah, I think it is, but I think there's also a bunch of other words. I think forgiveness is a big thing. Mm. You know, we've all been hurt by people in our life one way or the other, and I think you really have to learn to forgive, and I think you have to accept it. People may not agree with you, people may whatever, they may still be angry at you, who knows, but as long as you yourself in your own heart can forgive, not forget, but just forgive, there's a big difference. I think that is so important because, again, it's freedom. It all relates back to feeling free. If you're not harboring all this crap, as I call it, then you feel freedom, you know, it's it's like you spend a lot of time being angry, a lot of time being hurt, a lot of time being saying, I was misjudged or I was whatever. But if you can let go of that, then there's a freedom at the other side. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I, I know totally what you're saying. Yeah, and that is yeah. that to me is the essence of, so I would say forgiveness is a very, very important word. And because... If you can't forgive, I mean, you don't know where the other person's coming from or what their situation is or whatever. And very often you say, well, why did they do that to me? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe they just don't know. Maybe that's something else they're dealing with, you know? Right. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. And you're right. There is so much time wasted in, you know, holding on to that stuff. And the more you hold on to it, the less you can accomplish, really. You know, oh, yeah. it's like yeah. not only does it cause you physical harm, but I almost feel like there should be a parade for that. That's how into forgiveness I You feel physically not healthy and you're mentally not healthy. Right. And, you know, as long as you can somehow let go of that, and it doesn't mean you have to justify or, you know, but you just have to not be so judgmental and kind of be acceptance is another word. And acceptance sometimes think of, well, why should I accept that if it's not good? It really doesn't matter. No, it's, it doesn't. It's what you need to do with it as a person. 
It's yeah. your own acceptance. What the other person does is up to the other person. That's not up to you. Right. So it's you have to do this for yourself. So I think truly being spiritual or coming out of the closet is really knowing who you are in your core. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's that's a trick to all of it. And I've gone through everything in my life. I mean, I've I've done all the bad things. I've done all the good things. I've I've lived many many lives in one, as I say. Mm-hmm. And that to me has really shown me to be the age I am and where I am in my life now, and still looking forward to stuff. You know, as I say in the book, I'm no good when I'm bored. I get very bad when I'm bored. So the trick is to keep me going so I don't get bored. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good thing, I think. And, yeah, but yeah. what you just said is very powerful, and, and it does really come down to knowing ourselves, who we yeah. are, being secure in who we are, not being yeah. so judgmental, and being able to forgive. And if you just concentrate on yourself and not involve yourself with all the other stuff that we do yeah. to get involved in. It's yeah. just amazing how freeing it is, as you say. So now the other important chapter I, I wanted to talk about before we let you go that I think yeah. is so important for people right now is the chapter entitled Facing the Terrorists, Murderers, and Rapists ah. Among Us. Okay. Right? Okay. This is so important for us, all of us, to master right now, especially during yep. this time in our history in the world. And so please elaborate on the philosophy you share okay. in this chapter. Okay, well, this was, this was a very personal thing that happened to me. In Toronto a number of years ago, there was a young man who basically took a truck and mowed down a whole bunch of people on the sidewalk and killed them. Mm-hmm. And it was in broad daylight. And a reporter called me from the local newspaper and and asked me about it because one of my volunteers that had worked for me had died in this. And he said to me, you know, you're angry. I said, no, I'm not angry. He said, well, you have to be angry. And he got very upset with me because I couldn't be angry. And I said, this young man who did this was 18 years old, Mm. who had spent so many years being on the dark side of the web, okay, was mentally ill, had fallen through the cracks. So how could I be angry at him? Because he really had no idea what was going. So this reporter got very upset with me. But I think that's so important to look at why people are really doing things. And the other part of that chapter was... um, a uh, sister who runs the Barcelona Brahma Kamari Center, just a lovely sister. Mm-hmm. And she was working in a, in a jail, and she was working with inmates to teach the medica- medication, 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 et cetera. And some man was talking to her, and she thought that he was a psychologist or whatever. He turned out to be an inmate that had killed his wife. And she said she really recognized you know, his truth and what he was trying to work through, and she had to get through all of that other stuff so she could deal with him. So I think it's like, don't take people at at the face value. Really try to figure out why they're doing what they're doing, because it's so important in life that we can go through hurting a lot of people unless we do. Say in the book, hate the sin and not the sinner. Ah, that was the quote. Okay. Right? So I think if people walk away with anything, and this is something that you could put in your tool belt on how to survive 
living in this world today. It's, it's yeah. really that. And I have to constantly remind myself because I can go on a rampage about Donald Trump. It's a drop of ass. <laughs> yeah, well, I think most Americans can. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think most, so, most people in the world can. Boy, I can go from angel to devil before <laughs> a second can even hit the meter, you know. Right. But, okay. All right. So, so let me just repeat that. Hate the sin, not the sinner. Uh, because it's so, I thought, God, this is so powerful, and we all need to work on this right, right. now. True. Otherwise, yep. you become a hater. You know, yep. I mean, yep. they win. You become the yep. hater. No, they win if you do that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So let me ask you, what was yes. your favorite part of the book? Well, it's a very simple thing. It's mm-hmm. a very simple part of the book, which really hit home to me. And I don't know why to this day. It's not a big spiritual moment or not a big whatever. But something Will said, again, from this, this minister from the Church of England, he said that he had this person that was in his church that um, was had lost his wife, and this person was very, very depressed and very upset and didn't look right and had been sick for a lot of months. Mm-hmm. And one day he came to church, and he was all dressed up. He had a new suit on. He held his head up high, and he looked very proud. And it didn't mean that he wasn't going through all the bad stuff inside, but he made a point of really looking the best he could. Mm. And what it brought up for me was over the years when I've traveled to a lot of third-world countries, I've always been amazed at how kids can walk out of these little poor shacks with all their white clothes on, looking so pressed and so whatever and ready to go to school, I could never pull this off in a million years, okay? Mm -hmm. Whether you're in India or whether you're in Jamaica, their shirts are pressed, their trousers are pressed, and off they go with a little little lunch bucket, looking so proud. So I'm not saying that clothes make the person, but I'm saying it's like, it's a very simple example, but to me, that was like walking proud, what this man did. He made a conscious decision to look the best he could on this particular Sunday. It's like when I've been to church in various parts of Africa, and you see the women walk on in on Sunday with their beautiful dresses on and their great big hats, mm-hmm. and they're very poor. And these are the women that are working in the fields all week. But boy, do they ever look nice on this one day of the week. People um, pay attention to their self-worth. Everyone is worth something. And I think really paying attention to how you feel about yourself and your self-worth, even when things are not great, if someone's not being nice to you or something's happening in your life that you're not comfortable with, just say, hey, I'm me and I really love what who I am and where I am. So, again, that's your self-worth. So that's a very, I mean, with all the examples in the book, yeah. I mean, I could go on and on and on. There's, there's many of them. But this, to me, kind of was so simple. It's brilliant. Lastly, what do you want people to get out of reading In Search of Spirits uh, uh-huh. Spiritual Intelligence? What I want them to get. Um, understand how other people live in the world. Maybe understand a little bit more about various cultures and how people live their life. Also to understand that everyone's the same. I mean, I've done so much traveling. I always say there's three very important things. People want a good roof over their head and their family, enough food to eat and be safe. doesn't matter who you are in the world. Whether you're the richest person or the poorest person, you all want the same thing. So I want people to maybe understand that a little bit more. 
getting to that point where you're looking at the person as a person and maybe their soul. You're not looking at all the stuff that is around them. Disconnect with the person as a person. Yeah. Whether you call it soul, whether that's a word people don't understand, but it's trying True. to connect with the person as a person. Mm. Whether it be a poor person, a rich person, a medium person, it doesn't matter. It's trying to make that connection on an individual level. Because everyone likes to be smiled at. Everyone enjoys kindness. Every, it doesn't matter who you are. Normally, people like that. Advice or words of uh, wisdom for those interested in exploring their spiritual identity? I think just to, you can start off by doing, there's all kinds of reading you can do, not just my book, but other reading you can do. And I think that the one thing this book does, which other books haven't done that I've read, it tells it by stories. So these are people's individual stories. It's not my story. I mean, I come in and out of it every so often as a narrator. But it's more their stories, what they've gone through in their life to reach the point that they have reached. I mean, I have a, a very good friend of my book, Claire Dunfrey. She lives part of the time in Georgia and part of the time in Bali. And she teaches dance to the poor kids. She's 82 years old. Wow. And I met Claire in the north, in the bush in northern Australia when we were climbing uh, rocks, when we were climbing mountains and, and the norming the, in the north bush of Australia. And she was waving feathers in front of open graves with mummies that had mummified. I thought this woman was totally nuts. <laughs> so she ended up she ended up being an artist from New York City. She lived on the on the Upper East Side and had this very nice townhouse, and that's what she did. Yeah. And since then, she's moved on. So, I mean, you're, and when I asked her to be part of this book, she she's someone who analyzes everything. And she sent me pages and pages and pages. And then she said to me, it's one sentence. I said, what? She said, to be as close to the divine every day of my life as I possibly can. Oh, love that. So that says it all. That and, says it all. And it's like, it's like, be again to be the best person you can be so i guess that's all i'm saying is try to be the best person you can be and you're going to fall off the wagon god knows how many times <laughs> yes. it's all part of life okay it's all part it's of life. Not, there's no such thing as perfection in this right but it's just to keep if something happens okay how do you move forward i'm a great believer in moving forward in life i've never gotten stuck anywhere and so I always have to keep moving forward. Do I know what moving forward is for me right now? No. Am I worried? <laughs> no. Should I be worried? I have no idea. So that's, you know, that's just the person I am. Whether that's nuts, I don't know. But that's just how I've lived my life. What a perfect way to close this show. I couldn't say another word that would make it any more perfect than what you just said. It's such a pleasure always to be with you. I want to remind everyone about the title of the book. It's called In Search of Spiritual Intelligence. The author again and our special guest is Betty Steinhauer. And the publisher is Fisher King. You can pick up the book and her memoir, which you should definitely read my way, on Amazon or at a bookstore near you, like I said, when we're officially out of lockdown. And you can also follow Betty on the nomadicintern.com to keep abreast of what she's up to. Yes. What a remarkable... It's also available in Kobo and Kindle, too. Oh, great. And yeah. what a remarkable woman you and spirit you are. I am so blessed to call you friend 
thank you for sharing your life and the lessons learned with us today. I really, you know, pray for your safety, and I wish you much success with the books and your screenplay. And for those of you out there in Hollywood that may be tuning in, pay attention. (laughs) This is a great story. You better you call. I thank you, dear friend, and please take care of yourself. Until and next I time. thank you, dear friend. Okay, thank you for the opportunity. It's very much appreciated, and I love you. I wish you much success, and I love you too. Folks, thank you for tuning in. It's been a pleasure to have you join me on my journey today. This is Kathy Barrett signing off from Behind the Curtain, sending you thoughts of peace, love, and gratitude. Follow me on Twitter. Thank you. Take care. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.